called Burning Bush Ministries, and it was a messianic fellowship. And we were there from the time I was seven until I was nine, or excuse me, for nine years, from the time I was seven until I was 16. And it started out okay, but very quickly um, became a very unhealthy spiritual environment. It, it ended up being a cult. And so I was there for most of my childhood, and it, it did a lot of damage, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, we had one car for most of those years, and for most of those years, the ministry took it for half of the time. So we had a car maybe three days a week. We were homeschooled. I didn't have any friends. Um, they very much discouraged us having any interaction with my family, so I only saw my grandparents maybe once a year, even though we were only like 15 minutes away from them. Um, as we got further into our years there, and as I got older, a lot of the, the messaging about God and what he expected of me really started to take its toll on me. So there was never a God loves you unconditionally. It was God loves you if. God loves you if you do this right. God loves you if you do that right. God loves you if you follow the leadership's direction kind of thing, right? Um, so there was very much a really unhealthy view of what the leadership should and shouldn't be in our lives. Um, but all of that was really starting to take its toll by the time I was about 12 or 13, and so I became uh, anorexic. I stopped eating for a while. Um, I, was, I was really close to skin and bones. I lost so much weight because of that and felt like I was trying to be more holy by fasting and doing all these different things. Um, and in the pro and around the same time, I was anorexic and then... Um, finally got leveled out with that a little bit to where I wasn't losing so much weight, but then all the anxiety and the depression and the OCD and the, I couldn't um, sleep most of the time, almost, you know, for most of my early teenage years, and it got so bad that that's what made my parents notice <laughs> that maybe they should reconsider where we were. Um, it had an impact on my younger brother, too, but I think because of my age, it was harder on me because I was really understanding that the God that I'm reading about is not the God that I'm seeing um, in this. And if this is what being a Christian is, if this is what living is, I don't think I want this anymore. So I never tried to commit suicide, but I very much wanted to die for a very long time because I just didn't see any hope. Um, my parents made some really poor choices while we were there as far as taking care of me and my brother with our health care needs. There was very much this... Um, unhealthy view of insurance and doctors and basically you only went if you had like an arm cut off kind of a thing. And so I remember there were times where there was one year where I caught the flu and I think I got strep at the same time and I was so incredibly sick. Like now working in healthcare, I think I probably had pneumonia but I didn't go to the doctor. And so I laid there and was just in you know a lot of pain and a lot of I don't know, I just, I just felt very neglected in that moment, not realizing that it didn't have to be that way, right? One time my brother wrecked his bike and slashed his leg up really bad, like you could almost see the bone, he didn't go to the doctor. Um, there was just a lot, of, a lot of fear and misinformation caused my parents to make some very bad decisions when it came to our lives at that time. Um, so around the time that I was 15, my depression and anxiety and uh, everything had gotten so bad that um, 
I was crying, you know, almost all the time. And so my parents were really not sure what to do, especially my mom. I think it really started hitting her, like something must be wrong. Like maybe we should rethink what we're doing here. And, and around the same time, they started really, I don't know what the trigger was, but God started opening their eyes to how wrong this was for leadership to be, you know, telling your family to be isolated from other people who care about them, telling them not to seek health care when they need health care, telling them that, you know, even though my dad was only making six twenty-five an hour, that they needed to continue to give more and more and more of their money and their car and everything else. And um, one way or another, God was starting to open my parents' eyes. And so when I was 15, um, right before I turned 16, we left. And I would love to say that once we left, I was fine. <laughs> but that was not how it went. So I spent the remaining my remaining teenage years trying to be normal, right? Trying to learn how to talk to people. I was so messed up from my experiences that I couldn't stand in front of people and speak. I would shake when I went into a house with more than five people, like I had severe social anxiety. Um, I just couldn't stand and look somebody in the eye because I was just, all, all of my self-esteem had been you know, crushed by all of these bad messages about what Jesus, who God is, and what Jesus wanted from me, and I never felt like I was enough. So God, through friends that I met in a youth group that we joined a little bit after that, like I'm still thankful to this day that they accepted me as weird as I was. They accepted me into their weird little group and started loving on me and um, kind of started to bring me out of my shell a little bit. And then between like 17 and 20, I started to kind of come out and started trying to basically force myself to have social interactions and really push myself and, you know, started to um, let God reframe my mind as far as who he was and what his love was truly and how much he loved me. And it wasn't until I was about 21, uh, Josh and me started going to this college ministry. That's where we met when I was 20. And... Uh, it wasn't until I was there that I started to actually understand God's unconditional love. Like, it took me until I was 20, even though I had known about Jesus since I was six, right? Um, and I remember coming in one day, and our pastor was in there, and, and I was trying so hard to keep it together, and I had made so many mistakes with my finances, because they never taught us about finances when we were in the cult. Like, what's a credit card? Like, we didn't use banks. We didn't use anything that was government-related. So there was just a whole lot of stuff that I learned the hard way because my parents didn't teach me and nobody else taught me because I was homeschooled, so you know, there was this huge void that had to be filled. Um, so I was in the middle of my early 20s and making all these terrible decisions. I drove myself into bankruptcy, and I came into church one day and trying to put on a face, right, and trying to make it look like everything was fine because I thought that's what Christians were supposed to do, just to find joy in every, every moment and everything's supposed to be fine. But I came in, and, and Ryan, that was his name, he said, Joy, you came in here and you said that you weren't okay and had a bad week, like that would be okay. Like you don't have to have it all together. And I don't know what it was, but the way he said it, it's just like a light bulb went off. Like I started to understand that God's mercy was there for me and that I could be authentic with people. And it was that moment that God started to open doors for me and talking to other people because I was like, well, fine, I'm just going to be real. <laughs> I'm going to be real, and I'm going to be authentic, and I'll see what happens. And it just amazed me how once you let that wall down and start being more authentic, like how other, people's, other people felt comfortable to do the same thing. 
right? So God just really started working in that, in me, and um, about a year after that, after Josh and me got married, we moved to New York City for a year, and God used that year when we were in New York City to really break down all of the misconceptions I had about Jesus even more in a good way and help me to start from the ground up and build my way back up. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a training and support manager now. So you wouldn't think that, you know, I'm struggling still with some anxiety and depression issues, and I didn't think I was either until the last two years. So what I'm going to talk about today is um, basically what I've been going through the last two years since about when COVID started. I realized that I wasn't quite as healed as I thought I was. And uh, I had been pushing through, you know, for the last 15, 18 years, um, feeling like all of those mental health issues and, and anxiety and depression and all of that were way behind me and that I was in a new chapter in my life. And then there was a few times last year where I realized that was very untrue. Um, so obviously there has been a lot of healing and restoration since my time when I was in the cult. Um, and up until the last two years, there wasn't a whole lot of those mental health issues that I had, at least not that I realized. Um, so as I go through what I'm talking about, I'm going to kind of ask questions. So these are questions that I've asked myself as I was thinking about today. And one of the first questions is, you know, why are we afraid to be honest about what we're really going through? Like, why are we afraid? Um, and I'm not sure about anybody else, but I remember when I was growing up, <laughs> hearing adults tell their kids something like, uh, I don't want to hear you complaining or bothering me unless you've lost an arm or you have a finger dangling or something. Yeah. Anybody else hear that? <laughs> so there was very much this like, you know, don't be telling me about your pain. I don't want to hear it. You know, unless you've like got, you know, blood squirting out of an artery, I don't want to see you right now. Um, you know, stop it. You're not dying. So there was this very much ingrained as we were growing up, like, you know, don't talk about what's wrong. Nobody wants to hear that. Like, unless you're like about to die or something, just deal with it. Um, and unfortunately, that mentality was reinforced in the church when it came to spiritual matters. And it translated beyond physical ailments and beyond my relationship with my parents or other adults into my relationship with God and my understanding of his expectations for me. So, you know, another question I've been asking myself since I've been struggling the last couple of years, um, is anxiety, sadness, or depression a sign that you lack faith? Because I've heard that a lot, right? Um, I think a lot of us can think of the standard responses we or others in the church have been given whenever we're feeling sorrow or sadness or any kind of anxiety or, or depression. You know, just, just give it to God. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Why are you afraid of that? Like, I don't understand what you're, what are you talking about? Um, we, need to, we need to pray away that spirit of sadness. <laughs> you need to stop living in the past. You know, why do you want to spend time any, any time talking about that? It's really hard to be around you when you bring that stuff up. You're letting the devil win. You know, just be still and know that God is God. He's got a reason for everything, you know. If you're feeling anxious or depressed, it's because you don't have enough faith. 
or you should just pray more, you're obviously doing something wrong, right? Um, something that God's been teaching me over the last two years as I've started to have these feelings revisit me <laughs> is that the one who created us and designed us, he gave us physical and psychological signals or symptoms to let us know when something isn't right, right? Um, you know, just think about how many of us would be horribly injured if we didn't have nerves to tell us when there's pain, right? There's a reason for those things. Um, he created us as unique individuals, each with core needs, a need to feel safe, a need to feel emotionally supported, and a need to be seen and heard by others. So when our minds and our bodies are acting as designed and telling us something is wrong, that something dangerous might be near, or that a wound isn't truly healed, why do we default to a state of shame and silence? Why do we move so quickly to shut those feelings and emotions down? That, that was my go-to, is I just block them out. Right? Why do we work so hard to appear stoic and in control, when the reality is inside, a lot of times, we feel like we're drowning? And, you know, like I said, something that I've said all my life is, you know, I don't, I don't like to complain. Talking about what I'm going through feels like complaining. It isn't complaining a sin, right? Gratitude, for those of you who know me probably really well, gratitude is incredibly important to me. And it's honestly gotten me through some really dark periods in my life. Being thankful for what good I could see and the joy that God was bringing to me. Um... But what I really hadn't understood until the last two years was it's possible to be both grateful for what you have, grateful for what God has brought you through, while also being honest with yourself and others about how those experiences changed you. How they may have left scarring or other vulnerabilities that you don't like and that you certainly don't want to admit to other people. Right? I can be thankful for God's saving grace and be honest about the fact that I have a lot of healing yet to do. That's not sinful, right? So, just to kind of give you an idea of what happened the last two years. All of you know what happened in March of 2020, right? <laughs> quarantine began, um, and weirdly enough, for me, quarantine didn't feel like something very new. Because I had been in a cult for nine years, and I had been isolated from people, and I knew that feeling already. Um, it wasn't until we were several months into quarantine that I was able to recognize what was happening in my mind and heart. Why I started to feel, even though I had, I'd experienced that before, why I started to feel really trapped and anxious, more so than, you know, what I would have thought would have been normal. Um, basically what happened is it reopened my wounds. Like being in quarantine started to pick at those wounds that I thought were healed a long time ago. Um, and many of those I now see were never really healed because I hadn't fully acknowledged them or I had minimized them in the name of gratitude. And then in June of 2020, uh, the house that was next to us was set on fire and it caught our house on fire too. And we've been out of our house for almost two years. And um, it's taken me almost this whole time to realize why I was having especially last winter. Last winter was really rough for me, and 
And I don't know that I shared that with you all very much, but I was really, really struggling last winter. Um, but I was trying to understand, like, why I was having such intense feelings of depression and anxiety at that time. Like, you know, we have a nice rental. It's not like <laughs> we're living on the street or anything. Um, but I only recently realized that it had brought back that feeling of housing insecurity. Because when we were young, like, we were renting and moving from house to house. We never really had a house that I could say was our home. Um, and normally we would move based on what the ministry was wanting us to do or what they were encouraging us to do. So I never really felt secure in where we were living. Um, I just tried to make the best of it. And so whenever we lost our house that we had worked so hard to get, I felt like all those feelings came rushing back to me. Like, we don't have that place that we can just plant and just be at home and be safe. Um, you know, things were out of my control again, right? And it forced me... Um, living in our rental house the last two years has forced me to be still in ways that I was really uncomfortable. Um, I love to work in my hands. I love to work in a garden. I love to create things. And in a rental house, we don't have those outlets, right? And so things that I had used as coping mechanisms, and there's nothing wrong with coping mechanisms. It's whenever you use those coping mechanisms to cover over a wound versus letting God heal it that's when they become an issue. And I had done that. I had used all those coping mechanisms, staying busy for so many years, and it wasn't until we were stuck in that rental house that I realized that's what I had been doing. I had been staying busy and looking for projects and doing all these other things to avoid the feelings that I still had about my experiences when I was growing up. Um, and I almost didn't put this part in, but you, know, you all know my heart and... Um, I know the COVID vaccine has been very controversial for some people, but I'll just share, you know, where my heart is on this. But, you know, early 2021, we saw the introduction of the COVID vaccine. Um, you know, even though the world was hoping for a vaccine to come, I think it felt fast to everybody, right? Um, and even though I work in healthcare and I was one of the first people to be voluntarily vaccinated, I, I can still understand folks' reservations about something new. Like, I can completely understand that. And I think I would have been okay if that was the reason why people that I loved and my family chose not to be vaccinated. Like, if they were nervous about it, I could totally understand that. And I could respect that. Um, but that wasn't their reasons. Their reasons were based in fear and misinformation, the same stuff that caused all kinds of problems for me and my brother. And even my parents, I didn't tell you, my mom fell through a glass window when we were growing up and she didn't go to the doctor. It's the same fear and, you know, misinformation was causing my family to make choices that could, you know, put their health in, in a bad spot. So just all those feelings are coming back to me again, right? Um, so, you know, the thing that I've been asking myself since I've been struggling with this being still you know, can't you just choose to be still? Can't you just stop and, you know, let go and let God? Um, isn't that what we all need to do to be healed? Just just stop. Just stop and sit and let God heal you. Because um, we've all had, heard that scripture, right? Be still and know that he is God. Um, but as I thought about that, for me at least, for most of my life, being still in this context meant shushing my heart. Ignoring or doing my best to forget traumatic experiences and their effects. 
doing my best to block out those times in my life where I was neglected, and instead of acknowledging the, the fact that my parents made some terrible decisions, doing my best to come up with excuses for why I shouldn't be angry at them. You know, after all, they thought they were doing the right things, right? So for far too long, for me at least, being still has equated to pushing away and even becoming numb to my emotions in the name of forgiveness, faith, trust, and gratitude. They're all good things in and of themselves. So there's obviously a need for real healing in me still, right? And others who struggle with anxiety, depression, or other mental health issues. But do we really think God would approach our healing from a place of condemnation? Why do we think that? Like, why do any of us think that? So for just a few minutes, maybe we'll put aside what our parents may have said what our friends may have said, what people in the church may have said about being still. What did God actually say about being still? Did he really say, be still, stop feeling, ignore your heart, and put on a smile? Because that's, I think that's how a lot of us have translated it over the years. That's what we think it means. Um, so when I was looking at this, I looked up that scripture, be still and know that he is God. And um, I'll be the first to say that I've been in a lot of sermons where looking up the original word translation has been way overused <laughs> and, and misused. Um, if you all know what I'm talking about, I'm, I'm sure some of you have. Um, we're always looking for these word connections and trying to find out some mystery by looking up the original word, which, you know, it's great to know what the meaning was, but... I felt like God used some interesting connections when I was looking this up, so I thought I would share them. They might be coincidence, but it could be a cool God coincidence, who knows. So when you look up that word, be still, still um, is the Hebrew word rapha, and it basically means to slacken, abate, cease, fail, faint, be feeble, forsake, leave, be slothful, or be weakened. It basically still means quit, stop, let go. Allow yourself to be weak for a moment. Allow yourself to be weak. Um, it's funny, it's the same word that's used in the scripture for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon. That abandon word is the same one that he uses when he says be still. So it's, it's very much a letting go and, and being weak in that moment and letting God take over. Um, and what's funny is a very closely related Hebrew word is, it's pronounced the same way, Rapha. But you, you guys have heard of Yahweh Rapha, our healer. Those words are tied together. So that one word means to mend by stitching, to cure, heal, repair, thoroughly make whole. Um, so in that instance, Yahweh Rapha means I am making whole, healing and mending. Um, for those of you who know my little boy, Silas, <laughs> he's three and a half and he's large for his age, and that's probably an understatement. Um, he's very strong. And he's only been on this earth for a few years, right? but he's already experienced enough cuts and scrapes to know that they mean pain. 
and that they hurt when you touch them. So when it comes time for me as his mom to rinse out a cut with some peroxide, it doesn't matter how gently I approach him. <laughs> he's going to fight me, and he's going to move, right? Um, those memories of pain that he has are already strong enough in his little mind to know that giving in and letting me touch his skin is going to hurt, right? So what about me, adult me? Is it possible that even the act of being still because of my history causes me to feel anxious because of my past experiences? And if the answer is yes, what does God think about that? Is he disappointed in me? Am I disappointed in Silas whenever he's writhing and not wanting to sit still and, you know, is fearful? I'm not disappointed in him. It's because I know he's experiencing pain, right? It's hard for him to be still in that moment. So I'm not disappointed. But then again, when I tell Silas to be still and let me clean out his cut, I'm not telling him to stop feeling, right? I'm not telling him that he that his, what he's experienced shouldn't be causing him pain. I'm not telling him his fear isn't justified. I'm not telling him that he can't cry. And I can't even promise that his cut won't leave a scar, right? But for far too long, I think that's what we've told people in the church. We, we tell them that when you're being still and letting God be God, like, you shouldn't have all these other outward shows of what you're going through, right? You shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be feeling depressed. You shouldn't be feeling in pain. Like, you're in God's hands, so it's okay, so just stop, right? That, that's what we tell people, or that's what we infer. And I don't think that God approaches us that way. What I am telling Silas in that moment is to be still, and just, just stop fighting me for a minute. Just, just stop fighting me, okay? Stop thrashing. Quit running and moving. <laughs> Allow yourself to be weak for just a moment. So I'm meeting his weakness with compassion, right? And once I'm able to get him still, I let him know that I have him, that I love him, and that I'm working to help him heal. And then I just ask my questions, like, why would our God, who knows that we are human and who is far more compassionate than any parent, why would he be any other way with us? So when I was looking up um, healing, when it comes to physical healing, uh, the body is, you know, complex. There's four different states of healing that our body goes through. The first one is just to stop the bleeding, right? It's the, the very first step that our, our body goes through. And the second one is, um, it's called a defensive inflammatory phase, and I thought that was interesting. Um, it focuses on destroying bacteria and removing debris. It's preparing the wound for the growth of new tissue. And uh, after that is the proliferation phase where the wound is focusing on filling and covering itself. And then after that is the fourth and final phase where the maturation phase where the tissue grows back together, covers the wound, and there's healing. But what I learned is if you don't go through the other three phases appropriately, you don't reach that fourth phase that fourth phase where you're actually covering the wound and it's truly healed because that wound can quickly be reopened if the other phases didn't happen first. So I think sometimes when we talk about being still and letting God heal our wounds, I think we expect people to reach that maturation phase before they go through the rest. And I think that's where we can do better 
as believers and as brothers and sisters is understanding that that process can be long and complex and it can be interrupted sometimes whenever we go through more trauma, right? So what, I'm, what I've been learning over the last two years is that God is both our loving father and our patient healer. And he calls us to partner with his work. And like I said, if there's anything that I've learned from the last two years, it's that vulnerability and honesty combined with safety in the still places of God's love can create doorways to true healing. And the church should be a place where people feel safe enough to be still, to quit fighting, stop, let go, drop the personas, and allow themselves to be weak and vulnerable so the healing process can begin or even continue if it didn't finish the first time. We should be patient with each other and patient with ourselves. That's my hardest thing is being patient with myself. Knowing that God is patient and doesn't condemn us when we come to him just as we are. But we don't blame our kids when they have those emotions when they're hurting, right? Instead, we ask questions and we listen to better understand what is triggering those feelings and perhaps even reopening old wounds. In the wise words of our brother Fred Rogers, anything that's human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. And Galatians 6 tells us to carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So what I'm learning is that God can heal, obviously, without our help. But instead, he's called us to partner with him. So obviously, when it comes to our own healing, he calls us to allow ourselves to be weak without condemnation. But then when it comes to our brothers and sisters who also need to heal, um, we can be, you know, if we put it in a healthcare context, we can be that nurse that's holding someone's hand when they're getting stitches, right? We can be that person for somebody else. Um, we can be that therapy tech who stands close to catch someone when they're taking their first steps after surgery. You know, there's always that chance that they're going to fall down. We can be that person who stands close to catch them. We can be that person who listens and speaks truth to the hurting or to someone who has been fed lies all of their life about who God really is. We can be that person that speaks truth to them. So I'm very thankful for this church. I'm very thankful that um, you guys have given me space to be weak. What I'm realizing is I haven't always taken advantage of that. But now that I understand that I still have a lot more stuff to go through and to heal from, 
I will be trying my best to be demonstrating that authenticity more with you all. And um, I'm praying that, you know, the anxiety and the depression that I'm still struggling with, that that will continue to be healed, and I'll continue to give that to God, and I'll continue to give all those pent-up wounds that I saved from when I was a teenager and covered over in the name of forgiveness and gratitude, that I'll let those come back out and just heal up, truly heal up. Um, but, I'm, but I'm thankful for you all, and thank you for listening to me today. <laughs>